fellow good people. And welcome to Perk Up Your Morning Podcast. I'm Natalie. And I'm Chris. And we're two engineers, husband. And wife. On a quest to spread positivity near and far. While every piece of news or story is important, we want to help break this cycle of only hearing about the drama, negativity, and unfavorable things, and help you to feel more positive about the happenings of the world. Grab your coffee or other beverage of your choice and perk up your morning with us to hear good, do good, and spread good. Hello, good people. How's it going? It's been a little bit since you've heard from us last. Yeah, we fell off our pattern again. We got busy. We did. You were out for a couple of weeks. I was out for a couple of weeks. Life happens sometimes. True. Work is demanding. The important thing is we're here now. That's true. We hope you're all doing well. Yes, we do. So, in the time that we've been gone... Yes? What interesting things have happened to you? Lots of interesting things. Um, But I think the best thing is just that... I know this sounds very cliche, but... It is springtime here now, so the weather's getting nicer, and honestly, it just feels nice out. Um, You know, we're transitioning into a little bit warmer weather. It's still kind of sweatshirt weather, which is nice. Um, So it's it's nice to walk the dog and not have to put my winter coat on. So (laughs) I've been really enjoying that. Walk the dog, pop the car. I'm not from Boston. But no, I agree. The weather has been very nice recently. We even got to do a couple of walks in the park back to back when I came home from work. Because the sun's staying up later, too. Well, yes, there is that. But that was because it was 90 degrees and we couldn't walk on the asphalt. I was more just, you know, because the sun's staying up later, so we're not walking in the dark. True, too, which is very, very nice. freezing cold dark. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Uh, Winter, Winter walks are not fun. But they must be done. They must. Because we love our little fur child. <laughs> How about you? What's What's been good with you? So, my big thing is I've been getting back into cooking. Having been on trips off and on for like a month and a half, pretty much straight. Um, I haven't gotten to cook a whole lot. And I've been missing it. And I fell off the bandwagon a little bit, got into the habit of eating out. So, getting back into cooking... And uh, you came back into it with a rigor. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been torturing you with attempting to make sourdough. Made some sourdough pancakes, tried to make some sourdough bread. They've all been very good. Yeah. And then I was also, uh, you know, just general in cooking more. Tried a different style of taco meat. Tried a different style of, uh, oh, well, I yeah, made pasta sauce. So that was mm-hmm. fun. That was very good. But yeah, it's, it's about it. It's fun. Yeah. And you've been enjoying all of it, I think. I have, so far. Or at least you've been polite enough to not (laughs) make terrible faces right to my face. Yeah, you're welcome. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Alright, so what's your beverage of choice? Uh, My beverage of choice is spicy coffee. It is spicy coffee. You want to say what the spice is? Uh, It is an Irish liqueur. So not Bailey's specifically, but something like Bailey's. How about you? What's your beverage of choice this go-around? Mine is a very boring lemon water. Um, that's not a boring <laughs> choice by any means. Had Some you, may say it's very boring. If you had just gone for a cup of water, that would have been a boring option. A healthy option, but a boring option. Yeah, let's pretend like I don't have just plain water all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so who's going to kick it off today, you or me? I guess I can kick it off first. All right, go ahead. So for my first story, we're going to talk about your favorite thing. I have lots of favorite things, but... Your favorite thing... Doggos? Doggos! (laughs) But this is kind of sad to start off with. So to paint the scene, we're up in Alaska, so it's like 500 degrees up there. (laughs) Um, There's ice up there and everything. Got a family, they have at least two dogs. And I say at least two dogs because two dogs went missing for a couple of weeks. So the one dog, Starlight, she shows up after about two weeks of being missing. Perfectly fine. Their other dog, however, doesn't show up. One year old uh, Australian Shepherd. So they're thinking, oh my gosh, she might be lost. Don't know what happened. Um, Give it a little bit more time. And 150 miles away from where they live, through the Barren Sea, on the news they see an Australian Shepherd which happens to be their missing Australian Shepherd. So, dog traveled 150 miles going on an adventure. God knows what the dog was doing in between. But they managed to find both their dogs. That's my story. Well, that's some good news. (laughs) Thankfully, they didn't lose their dog completely. Yeah, what's lost can be found. I can't believe that dog went on a joy adventure of 150 miles. Look, born of a different time. (laughs) was born uh, like 300 years earlier could have been a pioneer going out to the west gotta keep a, a wrangle on that dog <laughs> or else it's just gonna psh, fly off when you don't even expect it next we'll be seeing the next moon landing and then the dog will be up there be like, how, how the heck that happened <laughs> well the one dog's name is starlight so makes sense uh. <laughs> but yeah that is a piece of good news yes it is all right you ready for mine I am. Mr. Moon Landing? Yeah. Because, very appropriate segue, mine is about a moon landing. Woo! (laughs) Good job. You didn't even know that, did you? No, I didn't. Alright. So, this story is special to me because of my involvement with extracurricular activities in college and a passion project for sending a spacecraft to the moon. So... A little bit about me, I was a part of a team that was working to launch a lunar rover as a part of the Google Lunar X Prize back in like 2014-2015. Google it, literally, if you want to find more about that project. Um, But this is a team from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that is aiming for a similar goal. So on May 4th, yes, the officially dubbed Star Wars Day, this impressive team is aiming to launch their approximately 2 kilograms, which is about Two point, or excuse me, 4.4 pounds, and is named Iris. The team will be piggybacking on the United Launch Alliance, or ULA, vehicle, which is called Vulcan Centaur, that will launch from Cape Canaveral in Florida. What's really cool about this is that Astrobiotic, which is a private space company also out of Pittsburgh, will be launching their Peregrine Lunar Lander from the Vulcan Centaur as well. Now, that date is a little bit up in the air based on what I've seen from the Cape Canaveral site, Um, but it does seem like that's about the timeline that we're looking at. So from from the time that this episode is released, it's just about two weeks until they actually launch, which is super exciting. So a little bit about Astrobiotic. They had actually also competed in the Google Lunar X Prize competition, and I, I heard their name and I recognized it, and it's because it was one of our competitors. 
So now they're privately launching their vehicle after multiple NASA development grants and additional innovation of their rover, which includes land testing since, you know, like the 2014-2015 era, which is super cool that they've been able to develop this rover this much since then. Now back to the Carnegie Mellon team. Their team is gearing up to monitor their rover after the launch and its successful landing on the moon. They will be actively monitoring it through their mission control center as the rover completes its 60-hour mission. The objectives of the rover include demonstrating its technology, which includes radio frequency ranging data collection for new relative localization techniques, and taking images of scientific evidence of the lunar surface. From IRIS's website, the team is composed of many students and professors alike with a diverse set of backgrounds that have made the success of the team, and that's very evident. The accomplishments for this rover will be that it will be the first civilian rover to be on the moon, as well as the smallest and the lightest, because it's primarily made from a carbon fiber material. If you're interested, you can check out the Iris Lunar Rover website in the description of today's podcast, where you can help to donate, and that'll go towards the cost of launching Iris in just a few weeks from now. What do you think? So that's awesome. First and foremost, I must say, may the fourth be with you. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool if they actually did launch on Star Wars Day? It would be awesome. Uh, This is a really cool project, though. It's been a while since we've landed stuff on the moon. It has. It has. I mean, there's a lot of different initiatives right now that are actually working towards a lunar landing. Um, Like SpaceX is working on their next evolution of the space shuttle right now. I forget exactly what the spacecraft is called, but they're actually doing development testing of that very shortly, too, um, where they're launching out of Texas, I think. And um, that would actually be the next vehicle to launch humans to the moon as well. So we're definitely getting back into sending stuff to the moon and beyond now. Which is awesome. I mean, you know, growing up, I don't know how much you watched the Star Wars and Star Trek, but like just space exploration and whatnot. You're talking to a self-proclaimed space nerd who watched pretty much every space shuttle launch, so... So that's still, it's, it's sci-fi. It doesn't answer my question. <laughs> I wasn't super into Space Trek and Star Wars, but, like, I am a self-proclaimed space nerd, so I think it counts. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, no, like, growing up with it, it was awesome. It was, like, the neck, the, well, you know, like, um, and Voyager, you know, space, the final frontier. So it's, you know... I know we have to explore the seas and whatnot, we haven't finished exploring Earth, but it's like it's the next new biggest thing. Well, and I think it's really cool that now these private and civilian organizations and companies have their shot of doing this, because before it used to be just organizations like NASA because they received government funding, and you know, it, it's very expensive to just send something into outer space, right? So for them to even have the opportunity to do this much less actually complete it in a couple of weeks here is really, really cool. And it opens the doors for so many other organizations to do similar things, too. Yes, it does. And I remember in um, one of the articles that I was researching, not for this story, but earlier on, they are talking about using the uh, the dust on the moon, the fine powder. Regolith. At, yeah. In the atmosphere to help with global warming. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, 
we're looking to space, like looking out at space and resources out there to solve the problems on Earth. Fun fact: as a part of the um, lunar rover project that I was on back in college, my team was actually responsible for simulating lunar regolith for our ground testing that we were doing for our rover. That was a project in and of itself, because <laughs> obviously we didn't have lunar rocks that we could just like crush up and make like a very because it, it's a very 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 fine powder um think about like the dust that's in the desert right so it, it was it was really tough to actually make it as fine as it needed to be so that was a fun little experiment i remember you telling me about that yeah it was literally in the civil engineering building like crushing up <laughs> what what we had available to us that was close enough in composition to the regolith and we were literally like crushing it up with like hammers and anything that we could smash it with it was basically coal um but like a, a special version of coal and then we were crushing it up as fine as we could and then running it through a bunch of different sieves to try to like extract all the really fine powder they started with having natalie just crush it by hand but instead she was just making <laughs> diamonds it was actually kind of cool because they had this shaker table in the civil engineering building and it had um, sieves that are stacked on top of each other so you could just put everything on top and then as the table shook it would go through like so you could actually sift through a bunch of sieves all at once so then at the bottom would be the finest and that's obviously what we wanted so it's kind of cool wish i could have seen it yeah anyway what's your next good piece of news so my next good my next piece of good news <laughs> is another short one. Uh, it just deals with a man that loves his work and has for the past 25 years. All right. So our friends across the ocean over in the UK, uh, over there, there is William Thomas, who is an 80-year-old man, and he's been working cleaning trains for the past 25 years. And for the past 25 years, he's loved doing his job. And when talking about it, they said that, you know, or he said that, you know, there's some days where it's a little rough. He doesn't always come into work wanting to do it. But at the end of the day, he realizes his work's important. Somebody's got to do it to keep everything functional and clean and happy for people. And, you know, at first you look at it and it's like, oh, cleaning a train, like, who would be happy doing that? But the view that he took away from it is it's just a larger part of everything it's just like when you go into a restaurant restaurant and the tables are clean you don't think to you know thank the wait staff for cleaning up everything but it's part of what keeps a, a functioning society and people happy if you walked in and there's just a, stacks of plates all over the table you'd be absolutely furious so sure. he takes pride in the small things that he does even if people don't see it as we all should, I think. So good for him for upkeeping that standard. Yeah, I would agree. It was just really refreshing to see somebody, you know, just loving doing their job. Yeah, and stepping up and taking the initiative when nobody asked them to. Yeah. yeah. And at 80 years old at that. I know, which is <laughs> the most impressive part of it all, I think. Oh, and he's also working a third shift at that. Oh, jeez. Good for him. Yeah, just a good attitude all around with it. <laughs> for sure, yeah. So how about you? What's your last story? All right. So my last story, it, it, I think I'm more technology focused <laughs> with all of the stories that I find. Maybe that's just what I gravitate towards. Um, but 
for those of you who don't know what additive manufacturing is, that's just a fancy term for 3D printing where you literally take a plastic usually that's in like a filament form and then you use a little nozzle to create an outline of the part. Um, so you design the part, you tell the machine what to do, and then it moves the nozzle in a pattern such that you form the part that you want to. And the advantage of 3D printing is that you can do all sorts of complex things that you can't do with your traditional manufacturing methods. So anyway, with that, just a basic introduction to 3D printing. But there are lots of people who are hobbyists with 3D printing. It's not always an industrial thing. Like people can have little desktop 3D printers all the time just to print out like little figurines or toys or whatever they want. So lots of people who own 3D printers were using them to help print personal protective equipment or PPE in 2020 at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. And Father Nick Hardman was no different. So he has been an avid 3D printing hobbyist and then he transitioned from creating PPE during the pandemic to creating his own organization that was founded on the idea of creating custom toys for children with disabilities. His organization called 3D Toy Shop Teddy Hospital focuses on making toys that don't already exist, such as pacemakers and tracky stomies for their teddy bears so these children facing disabilities don't feel so alone and have a friend like them. So basically, it's, it's an add-on to these teddy bears, right? He modifies them so that they display the disabilities that these children are facing. So Nick and his business are based out of Leeds, England, and he has volunteers who help him to sew and assemble the teddy bears. He and his team have already shipped out over 2,300 bears all over the world to kiddos. If a parent is interested in a custom teddy bear for their child, Nick has a form on his website for them to complete. They offer free teddies for those who aren't able to afford one, but it's on an available funds basis, so they definitely need donations from kind individuals to keep going. Otherwise, the cost of a bear is only 20 pounds, which equates to about 25 US dollars. What's really special about Nick's creations is the fact that they not only help kids to better understand their conditions and not feel so alone, but they also provide a representative and inclusive toy option for these kids who are experiencing difficult medical conditions. And what's really cool about this is that they're really operating on a loss, right? Like, they're not making any money from this. They're just trying to pull in as many donations as they can to keep themselves going. And Nick's message and reasoning for the organization, like he says, isn't to make money. He's really, truly in it just to help kids, and it shows. What do you think? So you love to see it. I mean, Father Nick is doing an awesome job here. Uh, I mean, I would have never thought of this, so it's really creative of him. Um, I mean, just wow. <laughs> I know. It, it's nice to see things like this because, you know, I, I'm sure that these kids have felt left out in some ways, right? Because it, they, they don't see it, right? Whether it's in their toys or just at all with other kids, they must feel left out, so... To have a little bit of inclusivity must feel really nice. No, I completely agree with that. and I mean, like you were saying, and kind of the story saying more broadly, you know, it's, it's helping these kids to normalize the disability and, like you had said, so that they don't feel alone in all of this. That they have a, a teddy bear with them that 
helps them to remember that, you know, it's okay and they're going to get through it. Exactly. And what's really cool, actually, is that I have this article that's from TikTok. So they actually post their videos of, like, them assembling the bears and things like that on TikTok just to spread awareness for the organization. So if you're on TikTok, definitely go check it out. I'm going to have a link to their handle um, in today's show notes. So it's 3D Toy Shop is literally what their TikTok page is called. Um, so if you're interested in some of the behind-the-scenes operations of how they run their organization, go check that out. All right? Is that it? I believe that's it. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, as always. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Those were our feel-good stories for the day, and we hope that we've been able to perk up your morning or day for the better. If you'd like to hear more about any of those stories, check out our links in the description box. We'll see you next time, and we hope that you hear good, do good, and spread good. Bye! Bye.